Welcome to the 10 Loans a Month podcast, where mortgage brokers become business owners. And now, your host, Ryan Wiley. Hello, this is Ryan Wiley with 10 Loans a Month, 10 Loans a Month Academy. So there's a new sheriff in town, in case you haven't heard. I've taken over 10 Loans a Month. Scott Peckford is still partnered in with it. And so this is that transition into me taking over the podcast. So this is going to be different from other podcasts that I run, The 12-Hour Broker. This is a more tactical approach to the mortgage side, and I'm sharing things that we have in the academy from different coaches, different wins we have with students, different things we're looking to accomplish in the future. So this is going to be a little more buttoned-up version. You're still going to get a ton of value from it. And so today's episode, I've done this training, or stuff I'm going to share with you I've done with newer agents in the past. I think it's something that's relevant for no matter where you are in your career. And it's 10 things I wish I knew when I was first a mortgage broker. And if I could go back in time kind of things. And so I'm just going to dive into it here. Okay. So no specific order. Number one thing I wish I knew when a brokerage tells you they have training, they actually don't, right? When someone tells you, Hey, we have this, we have that. And then you get in there and your expectations are completely different. I wish I knew that going in. I wish I knew that I should be getting parts of volume bonus I knew I wish I had the right questions to ask. I wish I knew in my head that the brokerage I'm signing up with, probably the person running the shop is a broker owner who's running their own book of business, and they might have great intentions to spend time and energy with you, but in all reality, they've got their own book that's number one priority, and you're number three, four, or five. And I wish I knew that because I got myself in a situation early on where I came in thinking I was going to be getting leads. I came in thinking they had my best interests at heart. I didn't know there was a volume bonus. I didn't have access to the lenders directly. I had to go through an intermediary person. There was all these unknowns. And so I just wish going back that I put myself in a better situation to succeed because it cost me one and a half, two years of my career before I figured it out, what I didn't know. Okay. So that's number one. Like I said, these are in no specific order. Number two, taxes. Oh man. I wish I knew that put money aside on every deal that comes in. Literally, if you don't want to put it into a corporate bank account and you don't want to just move it aside, make a payment right through. You should be incorporated, by the way. That should be not even a conversation. You should be incorporated. But funnel the money, make a bill payment right through to your SIN number. From your bank to your SIN number, give the money to CRA. I'm not saying that's ideal, but I'm saying that's better than tricking yourself into thinking you have more money in the bank account than you do, and you're holding this money there because you start to have this feeling, a warm and fuzzy feeling, yet you owe the government a lot of that money. Or for some reason, you spent a lot of it and now you're playing catch up. And so I got myself into trouble by not doing that, got years behind, had to pay massive penalties, and I just didn't know, right? And it was my own ignorance. And so I wish I was better at that early on in my career with the taxes. And literally it was, if I earn two, put a buck aside. And maybe I even get a refund. And I know that's not the best way to do it, but it will keep a lot of you out of trouble. And then you can optimize that process with the right accountant after, okay? Number three, go all in earlier. So originally when I started out, I was a server at the keg and I would wait tables at night. So I would go put on my suit, go downtown Toronto, and I would hustle doing mortgages and didn't really know what I was doing, sit in real estate offices, hustle. And then at five o'clock, I would go and I would take my suit off and I would put on my shirt and tie and go serve tables till one in the morning. 
And I did that because I had to put food on the table and save for a wedding. But what it did was it slowed down my growth because we made pretty good money as a server. I had all this cash and it never really lit a fire under my ass because I knew I had money coming in. I could pick shifts up. And so I didn't get real with my mortgage business. I didn't do the hard things I had to do because I knew I had this other job that was making me money. And so it wasn't until I said, I'm going to quit. And it was a nice, like, you know, pulling in six figures a year under the table. It's a lot of money, right? especially this was 13 years ago. It's definitely a lot of money for me. So I was doing well, but I wasn't doing well. I was doing well there, but I wasn't doing well career-wise. So when I quit, it knocked me over the head. And it was literally my survival skills kicked in. And I had to just go figure it out. Like it has my whole lifetime survival skills kick in, but I had to burn all boats. I had to go all in. And so some of you might be sitting here dabbing your foot in the water a little bit here and there because you have this plan over here that you know you could fall back on or it's paying the bills. I'm telling you something crazy happens when you just go all in. Leads me to the next one. By you going all in, there's certain sacrifices you have to make. So I wish I knew this earlier on and I wish I had the conversation with my inner circle, being my wife, my soon-to-be wife at the time. And I didn't. And so there were certain times where I needed to make a commitment to my business, which means answering the phone at dinner time, which means being on vacation and having to go do two hours of work all of a sudden out of left field, which means whatever that is, if you have kids, I can't be at the game because I have to do this. And it's a small term thing you have to do. It's only for a moment in time for X number of months or a year or two to build up your business. But I wish I had those conversations of the sacrifice I was going to have to make. It would have been less bumpy going through that early on because early on in your career, or even if you're 10 years in your career and you want to do that and you're taking your business over some other things in your life, at least have the people in your world know what's going on and they're on the same page and they know why. And they know there's a reason why we're doing this. And it's only going to be for a certain amount of time. It'll make things a lot easier along the way. I didn't. Looking back, reflecting, I wish I did, right? So I highly suggest that. That's very, very important. And that should be early on. Like, hey, honey, I'm going all in on mortgages. We are, but it's to better our family. But this means like I'm going to be working evenings and weekends. And I don't preach this in what I do long-term, but it's a means to an end. Early on, I have to be available all the time. I literally do. Okay. I have referral partners who need me. I have lenders. I have clients reaching out. I have to be all on, but it's for 12 months. And then after that, we'll loosen some of those guidelines. But as long as that's the case, your significant other or your inner circle, your friends or your family, they know you're not going to always be around as much. Right. But it has to be a conversation you have. Right. And it's pretty interesting what happens when you have that conversation. You start to build up your fan base. Right. People cheering for you. Like they're making a sacrifice with you now. Right. Because now they've got the kids more or now they're not as much one-on-one -on -one time but they understand why right but they're joining the cause instead of you working on an island trying to figure it out coming into the family dynamic i wish i had just let everyone in and let's do this together as a team okay and i didn't that's another one okay number five i believe build my no list early so those of you that we've talked a lot it is you need to build that no list i have a no list that has a lot of things on it you know, no credit challenge, no co-signers, no investment properties, five plus. I've got a lot, no new to Canada. Even if you're a brand new agent, you need a no list. You might not know who you don't want to work with now, but you should know you shouldn't be working on leased land. You should know you're not working on condo hotels. You should know you're not working on X. There's some very simple ones that you might be the new to Canada expert, 
three years from now. So I don't want you to say no to that. But there are some deals that are very hard to handle. You might want to cut out credit challenge people early on, right? Because right away you try to and you realize it's not your jam. You need to build a no list. We all need to have a no list. You can't be everything to everyone. Even if you think you can be, you're not an expert at this and this and this. You just can't be. Can't be an expert at everything. So even if you get the deal done, you might not be doing what's best for the client. The client might have been better suited working with the reverse mortgage specialist or a rent-to-own specialist versus you, who you bumbled through and got it done, but now they're not in the best product, right? So push the rent-to-own to someone else and take a referral fee, right? Say, I don't do hotel condos. So anyways, build your no list. Number six, hire fulfillment sooner. I preach this as well. This was the number one thing in my business that changed my business overnight. Hiring someone who handles from approval. So when you get the commitment to compliance, where you jump out, they don't have to be licensed, right? And you might say, Ryan, I don't have the volume. You're right. Some of you won't have the volume to do it. So you need to find other people in your situation and partner with them and go and find someone that's willing to take it on for three, four, 500 a file and work for three of you. Or maybe it's a new agent who's been in the game for two years. So you don't need to teach how to read down payment docs. You don't need to teach, you know, certain things, how to set up DocuSign. You need to teach them how you want it done, but not those, you know, foundational skills, but understanding the nuances. Find someone that can't bring business in as well, is struggling, loves the industry, and have them come in and run fulfillment for you. Well, they can still do their own book, but they need to understand, you know, your stuff takes priority because you're being paid, and then they'll slowly grow. And then you're building up training as you train them along in these small little videos and then they basically train the next person that you bring in. Or what I've seen happen a lot of times, that person just realizes they don't want to be a mortgage broker and worry about bringing in business, but they love the industry and they end up coming on full-time onto your team. Now you've got a full-time fulfillment person. But having that person, I remember the day waking up Monday morning going, wow, I don't have to do anything anymore with down payment docs. That's my biggest struggle, down payment docs right? And then conditions coming in and updating the client. And like that all goes off your plate. But we started with training the person and we meet daily and go over every file. Boom, boom, every file. Where are we at? And then eventually we went to every second day. And then it was once a week. And then it was just come to me when you need something, right? But we started out because you might not want to release that control. So you can still have control by going through every file every day with that person, right? What did you do here? Did you instruct appraisal? Okay. And then what did you do? And what did they say? And what did they say? And they, okay, perfect. On to the next file. Where are we at? Down payment. Did you review them? Okay, let's open it up. What did you find? What was the struggle? How did you satisfy that? Did you email the client? Like it's that nitty gritty. And that helps you realize your clients are in better hands than you thought because you're that close into it. So that was one of the biggest ones in my business. Number seven, start a mastermind early. And so there's something extremely valuable with you going along a journey with a bunch of people. You wouldn't have to have new people in the mastermind. I personally wouldn't have all new people if I was new. If I was seasoned, I would want seasoned people. I probably wouldn't want newer people. But you don't need to know all the answers. This is how I would structure it. Because I've seen this happen very successfully with people. And I wish I did this early on because I could have got where I need to go a lot quicker. Especially if I was newer. I would reach out and I would go, hey, I want three or four people. And I can only bring so much to the table because I'm new. But what I can bring is I can bring other people together and I can be the organizer and I can structure when we meet and what we're meeting about and laying out what one person's talking about that day. I would meet once a month and I would break out 12 months 
And every month it would be a certain topic, right? And it would be, what are we talking about? We want someone to present what they're currently doing. And then out of that will come a task that everyone will have to do. And you'll hold each other accountable. And it'll be something so simple that you'll want to keep showing up to this. And I'll give you an example. February could be database marketing, right? A big sore spot for most brokers, database marketing. Okay. So everyone comes in, they share best practices of what they do, where they're missing out on opportunities. And then you put a plan in place for the group. And it could be, let's just get your database onto a spreadsheet and let's get it set up and let's get a monthly campaign set up. And so you would use best practices between what you're doing, whatever services you might be using to do that. And that's what you would have set up for the next month. You'd have one task. You're trying to accomplish one thing. Because if you try to accomplish five things, I already know it doesn't get done. But after a year, you would have accomplished 12 things together, right? The next one could be outlining your email templates. So March is email template month. And everyone brings a screen share what they're doing, how they're doing it. Okay, what software they're using. You share scripts. You're all sharing stuff in there. Boom, 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 right? So you outline. So you could be the person organizing this. And you essentially could go find the people yourself, cherry pick them. I want you to be part of my mastermind. And this is what we're going to learn. So we're going to accomplish once a month for an hour a month, right? I don't know where there's a better time to be spent to get the right people in a group there than in one hour. And this does not cost you a dollar to do. Something I would have done early on. Number seven or eight, like I said, I lost track. Any marketing energy that I did early on in my career would be to referral partners and not the consumers. Right. I don't want to spend my social media energy, my database marketing energy, my phone call energy, my text energy. I don't want to spend that early on one to one, trying to get one deal that may or may not happen. I want to spend it one to a realtor. If realtor is my referral partner, I'm going after or financial advisor. I want to get them on my side because they have instant offense. They have access to people who they already have a trust factor built in with. So all of my marketing and energy would be spent towards realtors. For me personally, it was realtors. That's how I built up my business, but it took me four years to get there because I was spending a lot of energy trying to get the one-on-one -on -one consumers. Granted, when you first start, you're going to tackle your inner circle, but then you wear that out pretty quick. And now it should be to realtors. So how do I get involved with realtors? Well, I'm not going to lay that out for you here. There's lots of training on that, but just be cognizant of even your social media you're putting out there, right? I'm not going after the one-offs. I'll get them. I need the people who have 30, 40 clients a year. It's the same amount of energy you spend going after referral partners as it is a consumer. Because in a consumer, you're going up against their bank, their family's bank, their family, the peanut gallery. You're overcoming all those objections. You're trying to get one deal. A realtor is easier to get because you're going after them. And usually they've had bad experiences with brokers. And if they got a phenomenal broker, that's okay. There's other ones. But it's way easier for you to get in and handle objections and showcase your skills to a referral partner who has access to a lot of deals versus a consumer. Same amount of energy you're putting in. Why not leverage it, right? Number eight or nine, find someone whose business model fits what I'm looking to accomplish and copy them. It can be that easy. I know Scott has something, says there's no problem that you have right now that hasn't already been solved. So if I could go back in time, I tried so many things. I tried to come up with different solutions to stand out, different ways. I did all sorts of crazy marketing, which ultimately did not work. You know, those sitting in the doctor office, those things where you're marketing on the thing, where you, people are waiting. Like I did that. I did the mail outs to consumers. I did so many things. 
I showed up at real estate offices with donuts and rate sheets and huge waste of time. When in all reality, I eventually found my mentor and I literally copied his business model. And so I encourage you to find a business model that resonates with you and just become like consumed with copying it and then putting your own flavor on it. Where do they get business? How do they get business? What happens after the client comes in their world? Do they have a team? Is it a one-man band? And throw yourself in there. And is it take them out for lunch? Is it actually have them mentor you, but give them something, right? The trade-off I did early on when I finally found my guy was I will come in and I will be your fulfillment person. I didn't know that's what it was called at the time. I'll be your fulfillment person. What do you want to pay me? Pay me an hourly rate, right? I think it was $20, $25 an hour, which is a bargain. And I ran all his files. I got exposure to him. And I got exposure to him on the phone calls. And I basically copied his business with his blessing, right? He didn't have the scarcity mentality that I was going to go take all his clients and he would have no business. But I found the person. I realized very quick. I go, there's already people who have figured this out. Literally find the person whose business you love and get in there. So I wish I would have done that. That would have saved me years. Ask for the commitment. So early on in my career, I never asked for the commitment from a client or a referral partner. I was scared to. So I probably didn't want to hear the answer. Right. So I would talk to clients on the phone and then we'd get down and I'd have an approval and we're working and all of a sudden, hey, I'm going with RBC. Why? Well, my brother works there. I'm like, I never asked you. I never asked you about that. I never asked you for a commitment or the realtors. I'll have realtors and they keep sending sporadic stuff in. And I realize you're doing more deals than that. I'm getting, I'm usually getting your crap stuff because I never sat down with you and looked you in the eye and said, do I have your commitment? Like, I'll be your guy. Like, I will answer the phone you call. I will be captain communication. Nobody will have better communication than I will because I know that's a big sore spot with realtors. And so, but I need your commitment that you're going to test me out. Give me three months to prove myself. Give me six months to prove myself, whatever that looks like. If you don't like where it's going, then we can go other ways, but I'm going to knock it out of the park for you. So asking a commitment early on, if I would have, for lack of better words, had the balls to do it, I would have been better off, 100%. Right? It's crazy what happens when you ask people for things. <laughs> Seriously, it is. If you think about any part of your life, if you just ask, it's pretty interesting. So ask for the commitment. This is either nine or 10. Track my database. Man, I hope we're past that now. I really do. I didn't track any name or email for four years. It wasn't until year four that I started doing that. Lost out on a bunch of opportunities. So there's a sexy word everyone has that they think solves a lot of the problems in their business, and that's CRM. You don't need a CRM. If you have one, great. They always say the best CRM is the one you use. You can get away with just a spreadsheet for now. First name, last name, email address. Like put as much info as you can on there. Work it into your compliance routine. But you got to track it somehow, some way. But I feel like where we're at now as an industry, people get it. They get it a lot more. And it's probably because there's just a lot of people out there like me screaming from the mountaintops. I didn't do it early on. So you need to track that. But once you track it, you need to set up some sort of marketing. You make your money in the marketing in this business, right? You can have data on top of data on top of data. If you don't know how to turn that data into marketing opportunities, you're sort of just spinning your wheels and you're wasting a lot of stressful hours figuring out the data. So instead, I'd prefer you spent the energy marketing. And I'm not saying it's right, but this is why I didn't track the data. Data is valuable. It is. If it's harnessed, right? It's a certain power. 
Instead, if you have first name, last name, email address, and you know they came in your world, which is how they found their way onto your spreadsheet, put that into a marketing platform. So it could be MailChimp, which is free, right? And it's literally once a month, you send them something. You have to spend the time and energy building that, but it has to be consistent, right? And so after four years, I cheated. I went back to Google and I exported all my emails. Then I built my database up. And I don't know if half of them were clients, half of them were just people I was emailing about, whatever. I took the easy route there and I built up some sort of little database. And then I sent an email out to them originally going, I want to apologize. I want to apologize for not being around. I told you I'd be around for the life of your mortgage. I wasn't. I dropped the ball. I'm changing. You are now going to hear from me very consistently. And I'm going to share some valuable things with you. So, but I just want to say, I apologize. And that in itself, being authentic and vulnerable, helped reestablish a lot of those relationships, right? But I owned up to it. Instead of just putting my head in the sand and carrying on, I owned up to it. And people are human, right? They want to hear you effing up. They want to hear you making mistakes. Not everyone's perfect. And so I made sure to do that. Relationships matter. It goes without saying, but we are in a people business. Something I did early on in my career that I'm not proud of was I didn't spend enough time cultivating relationships. It was kind of like, what have you done for me lately? It was consumer focused. It was kind of selfish, I think, on my part. And I didn't spend enough time trying to help other people and understand how I can make their life easier. And what can I do for you? It was more about what can you do for me? How can you help me? And it wasn't until I switched gears on that and realized, oh my God, I could have got that deal done if I had a better relationship. And I wasn't being a jerk to anybody. I just never went above and beyond. And then I saw colleagues of mine who were putting in this time and energy cultivating relationships with lender partners and they're getting deals done and their deals are going to the top of the list. And so I was like, oh my goodness. So the first thing I did was I reached out to every underwriter. I was working with four or five lenders at the time and I set up a lunch meeting. And before the lunch meeting, if they allowed me to, I would sit in their office with them and I wanted to see how a file came in. I wanted to see what they saw because what they see after we click submit on file objects was drastically different than what they saw coming in on their end. And I didn't understand that. And now I got to see the nuances and something very cool happened out of this. I started to understand with MCAP, for example, as stuff came in with MCAP, a clock would start ticking in the corner and do, do, do. And all of a sudden they're being bonused based on how quick they answer emails. I'm just giving you one example back in time about one lender. I didn't know this. It was weird. I always got quick responses, but I never got solutions. I always got doesn't work, declined. Well, all I missed was an office phone number, declined. I didn't realize because this counter, they had to get the counter off the screen. And so when I realized that, I was like, okay, interesting. So I didn't take it personal. I knew how they were wired and they weren't wired at that time, my underwriter, solution-based underwriter, because now it keeps the time open and their response time, which impacts their bank account. Interesting. I also didn't realize when I call MCAP, they never pick up the phone. Maybe I shouldn't have said MCAP. This was a specific underwriter. Didn't pick up the phone because if they picked up the phone and they were on a file on the screen, it kicked them out of that file. The system did. So I was like, interesting. So now I know to text and go, is this a good time? Let me know and talk. Because no one was ever picking up my call. I wouldn't have known these. I wouldn't have known how they wanted the document sent in how they want them labeled, unless I sat beside them. And if they wouldn't allow me into the office, which I went into three offices, if they wouldn't allow me in the office, then I would ask these questions and the nuances at lunch. And then I took them out for lunch, guess what? 
the keg because they still gave me a discount. So I had no money, right? So there you go. But it was relationships. And so that's an example. But it was also our industry. So the colleagues that we have that we work with, I was sort of like on an island guy. I'm like, hey, I go to work and I go in my cave and I boom, boom, boom. I didn't put myself up there a lot for other people. I didn't. I was kind of just working on my own thing. The more you get and throw yourself into the industry, the world, the more pot committed you are, as they say in poker, the more you're going all in, some very cool relationships start forming. And you never know what door would open up, right? M. Misk, who's a coach in here, she and I met in a Facebook group. She was coming from the banking world, not a broker. And we met in a Facebook group because I put a post and I need fulfillment. And she answered the post. And now she came on as my fulfillment and she worked with me and then she was working full time. And then now she left and become a broker. And now she's doing 50 million a year. And now she's a co-chair. But that all happened because put ourselves out there into one group in Facebook at the time. So it was pretty interesting what happens from that. And that was more, I got to bring on fulfillment, but more her version of the story perspective is her whole career got launched a very successful career off of that one interaction, right? She came in and saw it. She's like, oh my God, you guys are making this much money and you can do this. And she's like, wow. But I'm like, yeah, you need to go do that. You shouldn't be doing fulfillment anymore. And so she did, but she put the time in our relationships. And I didn't do that early on. hundred percent did not do that, right? Instead of spending time with the people who were from my prior world and weren't really contributing in a positive way into where I wanted to be. Stevie D talks about this in the mindset. When I transferred it to, I want to align myself with successful people in the business and just be around that energy. Oh my goodness. I got smarter overnight by doing that. So if I go back, that would be that. Last one I'm going to say, act the same with all clients. This was early on. I didn't have the confidence to do what I was doing. I would have a CEO. I would talk to them completely different than I would talk to someone maybe not doing as successful, especially being in downtown Toronto. I'm wearing a suit every day. I don't feel comfortable in the suit. So I already felt like I was acting different. And then I'm meeting with people sometimes, I'm lawyers, and I feel like these guys are way smarter than me. So I would talk differently to them. And in all reality, that was hurting me because I wasn't being myself. And they could probably see through a lot of it. And then they wouldn't respect me and how good I was at what I did because I couldn't even act, you know, be authentic around them. And I know they picked up on this. And then they would start ordering me around, right? And I could see the dynamic shifting. Same with realtors. When I was involved with successful realtors, I wouldn't act how I would like, hey, peace out, man. Have a good day. I wouldn't say that to some guy I know making 700 grand a year. I'd be intimidated. Instead, I would try to act how I thought they wanted me to act. And now I'm just another person in their circle that they push around. And so I got pushed around early on, right? Definitely by referral partners. And it felt uncomfortable and it just didn't feel right. And I lost sleep at night. And so I wish I would just be myself from day one and let that circle build itself around me of who likes that, right? I think that goes with not even just mortgages. That's with anything. There's a bonus one for you. Okay, that's my 10 or 12 things I wish I knew early on as a broker. Hopefully you got something from that. And, you know, I did even going through that again. It just kind of like, oh, okay. So hopefully you got some from that. So if you want to check us out, we love that you do. It's 10loansamonth.com. That's the number 10loansamonth.com. Come check us out. We've got a very, very interesting spin on training in the mortgage industry, and we have a bunch of cool stuff coming out. Okay? All right. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye now.
This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.